All right, this is Jared. I'm back. It's been it's been too long, but getting back here with episode 20. I've got Mike on on with me. He's been on before, but we're going to talk uh, some optics, some gadgets. His wheels are always turning, so I think he's got some good stuff you guys are going to like. So, Mike, what you been up to? Well, let's see. Last time we talked, I told you that I was waiting for the Leica PRS scope with the PRB reticle, and then we talked a little bit about 3D printing, and then I know you got a a little bit of new optic as well. So I'll just crack into talking about the Leica a little bit and kind of my overall thoughts. Now I haven't actually put it into a match yet. I've only taken it out to two, two uh, range sessions. So, and the very first time it was more or less uh, trying to get everything dialed in and all that stuff. Um, but I got a really good session in last weekend. So um, kind of my background on optics is I've got probably about four or five different versions of the Bushnell XRSs with the diff different uh, reticles from uh, I've got the G3, I've done the H58, H59, Tremor 3, I had a Tremor 2, um, and the uh, Leica PRB reticle. So what all of those kind of have in common is they are a Christmas tree type reticle because I'm a bigger fan of the Christmas tree reticles and the straight crosshairs. Um, and they all more or less have a uh, 0.2 mil stadia as the tr tremor three is a little different because it has the wind stadia in there that, um, you have to kind of figure out for your round what those wind values are. Um, but they all have varying levels of different, uh, not intensities, but, uh, busyness to them. Right. And I would say that the Leica PRB is definitely the, the least busy, so. When we're going to, I also, I've got a Vortex with the uh, EBR2 reticle as well, which I like a lot, which is quite a bit more simplified than anything that's a 0.2 mil stadia on the, on the windage. So, um, so, so that's for, a, for, first of all, yeah, you, I know you've run Bushnell for quite some time. Why the, why the Leica? So the Leica, I, borrowed a pair of binoculars. I didn't borrow them. I just looked through a pair of binoculars from Chris Long a while ago. <laughs> and I still remember to this day what that image looked like. I should have never looked through, but I mean, I, that's kind of ingrained in my mind. So Leica kind of had my attention from the uh, hunting side. And then I'm, I'm big into photography anyway. And Leica is well renowned in the photography well, world for lens quality, et cetera. So they're, they've always kind of been in the back of my mind. Um, and then I'm sure just like a lot of people, they uh, read the Precision Rifle blog online. And uh, what's the guy's name that writes on there? He oh, did an sure. article uh, on the uh, Leica scope, and he in particular talked about the PRB reticle. And I was like, that sounds that sounds like it's a really cool concept, sounds really well thought out. So that's kind of where I was going towards uh, the glass. Uh, and then, so the, there's nothing wrong with the Bushnell XRSs, the Vortexes, but I kind of feel like I wanted to see what a little bit nicer glass is. And really the next step up, you're getting into the Minoxes and the zero comps and the tangent thetas, which that's a big jump, you know? Um, yeah. Like you're doubling your money at least almost on some of those. Right. And just like anything where you're, you're spending a lot of money, there's like a di diminishing marginal utility on the dollar you spend. Like, can you objectively say that those high end 
pieces of glass are clearer than things lower? Yes. But you know, at what point do you, does a person value that, that clarity? So the Leica is actually split pretty much in the middle between the Vortex Gen 2s and the XRSs, the Athlon Cronuses. It's, it's in, in between the two. Um, and I like the, the feature sets that were on there. There are new reticles, so there, there's not, well, the scope itself is pretty new to the market. So there's not that much information out there. Um, so I, I, I decided to try it. Um, so some of the criticisms that I read online before I bought it were that the reticles was a little thin and a little small. Uh, if you go on the Precision Rifle blog, they actually, he, he does a pretty good job of explaining how big everything is. I think he actually has a schematic on there. And there's no doubt that it is thinner and smaller than a lot of the stuff that's out there. Um, but if you read his justification on how he, why he came up with that, that design, it kind of makes sense. Um, so for example, the, the vertical and the horizontal stadia are thinner. And then his Christmas trees, uh, they're very, very thin. Uh, so thin, in fact, when you're on 12 to 15 power, if you're not looking for the Christmas tree, you're, you're not going to notice it. And it's not until you actually pay attention to see the Christmas tree that you're going to see it. So there's two schools of thought, either, okay, that's too thin, or that's actually good because I don't use the Christmas tree 90% of the time. Yeah, which yeah isn't isn't really a bad thing when you think about it. Yeah, it just depends on what do you use more. If you are constantly uh, holding over and not dialing, maybe something more pronounced is going to be better. But for the most part, I don't touch the dials unless I'm told to, uh, told that I have to hold. I'm sorry, I do I dial everything unless there's right. a sta stage description that says don't touch the dials. Um, so. And I transitioned last year. I used the Tremor three almost ex exclusively. Well, my last season, I didn't really get much last year. Last season, I used the Tremor three almost exclusively, which is arguably a much busier reticle uh, than the, the PRB. And then I shot the PRB at practice and it's, it's dramatically different. Um, so the, the, the flip side to having the thin reticles is you can see and read your impacts a lot better or your misses. In my case, there's a couple misses, but, uh, oh, uh, you know, but so for the first time I was actually able to, and it might've just been the conditions and the, the foliage that I was shooting into, et cetera, which I'll, I'll buy, but there's a couple of times where I shot into brush and I was able to see, uh, there's a couple of times where I saw, I, I, I swear I saw the glint of the base of the round come off, uh, come off the round into the brush. And then there's multiple times where I saw very little disturbance in the brush and I was able to make a correction and, and shoot, uh, you make a correction and then hit, hit the steel on the second one. Uh, this is, I can normally tell what portion of the plate I hit when uh, I was on a different reticle, but with the PRB, I can be much more descriptive on exactly where I hit on that plate, which, which was nice. And that might be a combination of lens clarity too. Um, but I am very happy with the, the PRB so far. Um, some of the other aspects that I like about the scope and not getting into lens, lens quality or uh, vision quality, cause that's kind of subjective and I don't have a way to describe 
how it looks. I think it looks better than the others, but that that's subjective. Um, so on the XRSs that I have on the zoom power, the, the zoom power is annotated on the front of the bezel of the, the zoom turret, which is behind the Nurlin. So if you're behind the rifle, the gnarling actually covers, obscures the numbers because it's on the front of the bezel. Yeah, so it's on the objective side. So when you're it's behind, on, the... yeah, yeah, perfect. Yeah, it's on the objective side. And if you want, if you're curious to see what power you're on, you kind of have to crane your neck. Um, and then, you know, you could run a scope lever, etc. But sometimes I don't remember where that scope lever is in, in relation to those numbers. You know, yeah. uh, for the most part, I, vertical is what what's good for me. But sometimes I want to know: Am I actually on full power, or am I just on twenty? And I can't just look, look through the scope and tell the difference, you know, and it, and that's a difference between one and two o'clock, you know, on, on the XRS. Yeah. Um, so the, the Leica's towards the, uh, the rear of the scope or the ocular. So you can be laying down and you can see it on the, this is also true for the Vortex uh, Gen 2 as it is on the Leica PRB, but the turrets have the the indexing mark on the same plane as the the uh, line of the turret. So what I mean by that is the difference is on the Bushnell XRS, the indexing line is actually on the the cylinder of the I don't know what to, the cylinder of the knob. I don't know what part that's called, but so it's a little offset. So the, the, the problem with that is that on some of my XRSs, sometimes the lines do not completely ma match up to the indexing mark. There's a little bit of error there. And yep. if you compound that error with a little bit of parallax, because those two marks are not on the same plane, sometimes it's a little bit diff difficult to read the difference between 3.5 and maybe 3.6. You might be wondering which, which, which one you're at. You know, it's it's very easy to crack, but when you're on the clock, sometimes that's being on the clock. So yeah, yeah, I've had that I've had that issue too, where you you got to try and remember it's just a hair left of three point five, or just a hair right of three point five, and then you got to remember it's a hair right or a hair left of whatever you're right. dialing. So and that, that that's just an annoyance. Um, and then I wish that so the PRB reticle has one hundred annotated on the parallax and it has infinite i think it has 20 100 and infinite annotated but everything between that is not annotated whereas the vortex all the parallax is annotated the bushnells are and i know people are going to say well those aren't true values that's okay though because they're notional right you, you, if you know that 600 is a little bit yep. closer or further for you at least you have a notional mark so the thing I did is um, actually found some stickers that are designed for air rifles. Uh, they're very small stickers and they're, uh, they're designed. So you put them on a turret of a scope for 45 or 65 yards, et cetera. So, but I just mentally add a zero. So if it's 450 yards, mine says 45. I'm smart enough to know that's 450, <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, know, yeah, and, yeah. and that gives you can do that. Even if you have a scope that does have those uh, annotations on the parallax, right? You can put those stickers on any of them and it's cheap. Uh, and the, they're stickers that are designed for turrets. So they stick well, they're pretty durable. Um, 
if you're wrong, okay, replace it, you know? Um, so I put those on my scope and it's set to me now. It's perfect parallax for me and it's not even notional. It's no kidding, 450 is 450, et cetera. Um, but that's not on the, the Leica. I wish the Leica had the wind knob uh, locking on the XRS, the wind knob is locking, but uh, those are the, the, the primary differences. Uh, otherwise, feature set, they're, they're pretty close. Oh, I'm sorry. So on the Leica, the parallax knob is stiff, and that is a criticism quite a few people have made, and they are 100% right. It's much more stiff, uh, so much so that I ended up 3D printing a, a lever on there. And now, now it's nice. <laughs> well, I, had yeah, to, I had to end up three, you know, if you throw a lever on there and I actually, after I 3d printed a lever for that one, I kind of want to do it for all my scopes now because, um, that, that leverage also gives you a little bit more fine tune adjust and, uh, it just, it's just faster. You don't have to wrap your whole hand around the knob. You can just simply single with a single, your index finger, adjust it re really easy. Um, but other than that, like the turrets feel great. I'm not that big of a connoisseur knocking turrets or anything like that. I don't really, as long as it dials pretty decently and the, the lines match up, I don't have, I, I'm not one of those people that says, oh, it's got great turrets or bad turrets. I've never felt, as long as you got a decent scope, I've never felt turrets that I thought were unsatisfactory. The zoom knob is, uh, the tension on the zoom knob is perfect. I think the XRSs are a little bit tight in comparison, but uh, I like the the tension on the zoom knob, and that is something. Sometimes, depending on my day and how froggy I am, like sometimes I'm on that zoom knob probably more than I need to be. Uh, but if it's stiff, that's eating up time. But the, I think Leica got it right with with the zoom knob. So now your uh, is your zero is it toolless? This yeah. So the both is uh, both the vertical and the horizontal turrets are toolless to zero and then there if you want to do the zero stop it requires a tool but there is an allen wrench inside the scope i was gonna say i thought so i saw where yeah it's all self-contained that's pretty slick uh i really like that i mean it's one of those things that's laziness because you you said you, you said it once every i don't know I, granted i every time i shoot if i can i'll go check my zero but how often do you change but, it Exactly. Like how yeah. often do you change it? But is it nice not having to worry about it? It is. So, well, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's one of the things that I hear. Like you, you talk about, I got a new scope and we'll talk about that. But like one of the things you hear about the tangent other than the glass is tool is zero, tool is zero. Well, between the Leica, you're buying two Leicas for a tangent almost for the tool is zero. So if that's one of your great, you know, if that's one of the listeners big, must-haves which more power to them yeah and sometimes you know, it's check one of those out a that uh you think you can live without and then you actually have and you're like man i really wish this was on my other scopes uh yeah i do admit i wish it was on the other scopes because it just you know especially when you go to uh where we shoot it's always windy and there's dust flying around and i don't like stuff getting in my turrets anyway but when you have tools and you actually have to take pieces off and you're worrying about you know, the caps falling between the, the planks in the, on the deck or something, you know, that's just yep. one less thing you have to worry about. 
less th one less thing to manage to make your experience at the range a little bit nicer. It's creepy, but there's there's value there. There's definitely value there. Yeah, I like I definitely like the whole self-contained piece because like, like you're talking about, uh, there's sometimes I'll I'll be off and I'll run out just run out to the range if I if it's January like now or February and I got a 50 60 degree day I'm going to try and scoot out to the range but I might only have 30 minutes of time to get out there if I don't have to take my backpack with my tools in it that'd be that'd make it nice it's just one less thing and then if you forget your tools man that's a that's a whole nother thing you know yeah even at a match like at a match someone's going to give you the tools but now you feel like an idiot <laughs> yeah yeah you can't take care of yourself right but, so what, what scope do you got now so first off you mentioned you mentioned chris long i have to give him a shout out on here because i was i was the same way i i didn't even know when i started i didn't even know what like it was and i looked through his i imagine probably the same binoculars you were looking through of his and holy cow you talk about in fact i think i might have had i don't even think i had my spotting scope by then that vortex diamondback that I end up giving giving away on here, and yeah, those like a glass. That's the only like a glass I've ever looked through, and I still remember it to this day. They they were they were super clear, and I think even this this like didn't Austin Orgain help? I thought I had read something where he had helped with this. I um, think he offered some critique on it. Yeah. I'm not sure about how much involvement he had in the development. Uh, he might have, he might not have, but I know he did, he was quoted in there um, for sure. Something to the effect of the the feasibility or the practicality of the reticle. I can't remember exactly off the top of my head. Um, yeah. Cal, what's his name? It's Cal. It's going to kill me. I can't remember his name. I read his stuff all the time too. Everyone listening is going to be like, yeah, you can't remember his name. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only, it's only because we're on here. Either of us can't remember his name. Right. Anymore. But yeah, so I, I've got some new glass too. So you're talking about the levers. So we'll get to my new glass for my comp gun, but for my uh, six Creedmoor I've talked about, I bought a strike Eagle for it because I didn't want to get too crazy with it. I'm going to have it out in the brush and chasing coyotes. And yeah, that was one of the uh, things about that strike Eagle was the uh, parallax knob is stiff. Like, and it, I'm, it's probably not the same with yours, but with the, on that strike Eagle, obviously it's a, a lower class, cheaper scope, but I could hardly turn it at all without a knob. So I end up buying one from, uh, oh shoot, who is it? MK Machining. Yeah, they do uh, quite a bit of the throw levers, etc., that are three D printed. Yeah, I, yeah, it's a three D print. So I think I think it is MK Machining. I have to check, but and that it is. It's a it's a night and day difference. It's not real big. Definitely helps out. So when you start talking about making throw levers and we're going to get into this, but some of that 3d printing stuff is just awesome because if it wasn't for that, I would, I'd be regretting buying that scope because I can't, you can't hardly change the, the parallax without it. But So uh, unrelated question, but how often do you actually touch your parallax during a stage? During a stage? During a stage. Rarely. Yeah. I'm in the same boat too. I, I'd, uh, I'd venture to say, that um, we'll say a lot of people probably don't. So is it all that important? If you're trying to squeeze every ounce of accuracy out of it, especially if you know you're on a stage that's long and it's all long range, okay, I'll take the time to adjust it. But if it's a normal positional stage from four to 800 yards, 
I, I don't even think twice about it sort of thing. I've got other things to worry about. Yeah. You know? uh, yeah. Good point. Because actually, I think the only time I've ever really messed with my parallax in the past, which obviously might be just the reason that I'm a mid pack to end of the pack shooter. But if I'm prone and we're doing like a, a troop line to where we're going from 400 to 1200 yards or a thousand yards, then I'll, then I'll change. If I'm prone, I'm not worried about moving. I'm in the same spot. I have messed with my parallax, but other, but like, that's excellent point. It was on the strike Eagle. I change it quite a bit. If I'm out coyote hunting and I see some, you know, I see him 400, 500 yards out. I've got the time. I'm not in a rush. Like I, I think am. that that's so funny too, because everybody that does this sport is so into accuracy. You know, they spend umpteen thousands of dollars trying to squeeze every bit of accuracy out um, all this time invested. And, you know, I know there's a lot of people that don't, don't, uh, adjust their parallax. And there's an argument to be made there that, uh, you know, you're, you're giving some accuracy up when you do it, but you know, you're weighing practicality against, uh, accuracy. And then sometimes it's just, uh, you know, maybe you forgot, which that's my case is I get in it. I touch the elevation and it looks clear enough. Great. Pull the trigger. You know? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Same here. I've, I've got so many things running through my head that probably shouldn't even be running through my head that, yeah, that yeah. the side of the scope just falls off to the wayside. But yeah, so my, my optics. So I think I'd mentioned on here, I got a, I had a razor gen two, I upgraded to a NX eight. And I, I took that out on a few, uh, range trips. Love it. I ended up selling, actually selling the, the Razor Gen 2. Had the NX-8. I thought it was more clear. I could see trace with it better than I could with the Razor. And then I still had my doubts that I was still giving something up in the optics department. So I went up, I ended up buying a Zero Compromise Impact 2 reticle 5x27. So now I have absolutely a, a big no boy excuses. scope. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely no excuse. So I'm, well, I'm keeping, I'm you keeping didn't do the NX8. A favor in that department. <laughs> What's that? I said you didn't do yourself a favor in that department. Like no, no, you gotta blame the mounts. Blame the mounts now. There you go. Yeah. Well, and I can't even do that because I bought spur mount. I like I went way out of my category. You know, out of my own realm and bought spur mount. Got bought the zero compromise. I can blame part of that on, on Chris. Cause he went that route and I was like, Oh yeah, I think, I think I'm going to do it too. That way I don't have any excuses. So I'll blame it on him. But uh, yeah. And I, I've had it out like you, I've had it out two or three different times and I love it. Um, the most clear scope that I've looked through, obviously it might not be that way for, for everybody, but I was, able to see trace on almost every, if I was shooting prone, I could see trace. Now when I'm, when I practice and shoot positional, I'm still not quite tracking trace. I'm definitely seeing impacts on dirty steel, even let alone misses. I'm definitely catching those. Um, like you had mentioned, Ryan Kymig, I had him on one time and he had mentioned that I think he was using an attacker at the time that he could catch every once in a while, depending on how the sun was, he could catch the glint, of sunlight off the back of the bullet. I was like, holy cow, like no way. Like nothing I had at the time. That was when I shoot the Gen 2. There's no way I've ever seen that, let alone trace. Well, now 
I actually was able to see it last time I was out. Now, every time I've had the, the zero compromise out, it's been pretty sunny, like nice, nice weather, um, not overcast. So that's really where I, I want to get it out in an overcast and shoot it in the shadows. Like that's, that's where I think that's really going to shine for me over my other optics is when the weather's not so good, the, the light's not so good and I'm shooting into shadows into the dark is I, I end up uh, RO in the finale at Justin Watts place in Oklahoma. And to get a little bit off topic, the stage that I was, I RO the same stage because they run all, all 20 stages, same stage, both dates. Well, if you hadn't heard, you're under a rock, but there, the weather was a little ridiculous on day two, snowing, overcast. And he, and Justin even warned me when I got there and checked in day one, that people are not going to like my stage. And in fact, every podcast I've listened to that's talk about the finale, they mentioned my stage. It was a troop <laughs> line. It was a troop line with five targets. They were circles. In fact, the first one was like 350, 450 yards. And it was either a minute or barely a minute and a half MOA target. I mean, just out in the middle of the field, no berms. I didn't have any berms on any of mine. Um, one was a little tiny circle the size of a duct tape roll. And another one was up under some trees. And then three and four were kind of out in the open and five was back in the trees. So one, one really good sponsored shooter that's, been shooting forever i won't mention his name or who is optic you shooting but we got he was shooting and the weather was rough it wasn't snowing at his time but it was overcast wind was blowing real bad and target three was a circle like i said out in the middle of the field it was just off to the right of this um know your limits rack that wasn't being shot but it was painted white against some dead grass background so everybody could find it. And then just up and to the right was our target. That's how we're, we're showing people at the beginning of the stage. Well, he lays down, he's, I think he got one impact. It was two shots each. He got one impact on, on the first real small target. Missed his first one, got his second one, got, got both of them on target two up under the trees in the shadows. And he got to target three and couldn't even see it out in the open field. So I'm, I'm on glass. My partner was keeping score or the RO with me. And I was telling him, you see the rack with the heads on it? He's like, yeah, I know where it's at. In fact, he got a little, got a little testy with me. He's on the clock. He's, he's upset. I know where it's at. I just can't see it. So that, that kind of guided me too, because I was, I was like, holy cow, this is one of the best shooters in the nation. And he just flat out cannot see yeah, that's frustrating. I mean, no, he, I don't know what it's like to be one of the best shooters, but I know what it's like to <laughs> to not be able to see your target when when you know it. You're you're in the ballpark, you know. Uh, yeah, he he knew where the rack was at, and that's why that's why I think he got a little tested. Like, well, you see the rack, you know, the rack with the it was heads on it. It was five heads, know your limit rack. So you, you see the rack. He's like, yeah, I see the rack. I know where it's at. I just cannot see it. And it by the time he come through, is halfway through the day. The steel was beat up, so it wasn't wasn't painted at all, and it. I could see I was blending in. It obviously wasn't blending in for me, for me because I've been staring at these same targets for a day and a half. So I knew right where they were at, but it just, that kind of opened my eyes to, man. Yeah. I, I would think that that sort of, uh, 
setup too might be better for other type of matches like Steel Safari, where you know a lot of the stage is the shooter has to make the determination of where the targets are, you know, and it's 100% observation. I think maybe th there'd be a little bit more play for there. You yeah. know, uh, optics quality is all, all good and stuff, but for the stuff I do, like, I want good quality, yeah. But for matches, unless you're in that particular circumstance you're talking about, you know, if somebody wants to get into PRS, Optic quality is good. No one's going to say not, but I don't think that's definitely the most important uh, aspect of the scope. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, that's, I say all that just to say, I want to get the zero compromise out in bad weather in the shadows and really see, I think that's where it's going to shine for me. Um, I've also, I've read it. I hadn't messed with it a whole lot. That parallax, you don't have to, move the parallax a whole lot for it to be focused at least or be sharp and clear. I hadn't really done any tests with that yet. Um, I've only been out to the range that I shoot at on the weekdays and we can only shoot on one side of it for the weekdays. So I need to get out on a weekend where I can shoot the longer ranges and really vary my range from 400 out to 800, 900 yards. And I haven't been able to do that yet, but. So yeah. that uh, parallax thing you're talking about, just from a photography background, you can actually get scopes to have, they call it depth of field. And depth of field is kind of the, uh, let's say the amount of distance that you, uh, an object will, will remain in focus. So, you know, a perfect example is if you take a picture with your iPhone, everything is relatively in focus. But if you take a picture with a, a high quality camera that has a huge lens, you, it's real artistic. You get the stuff that's blurry in the background. Yeah. That's considered a, a short depth of field. And there's actually ways, uh, you, you know, this is generalization for sure. But um, <clears throat> if you are going to get a scope more that's more light sensitive, you will give up depth of field typically. And vice versa. If you get depth of field, if you, if you, uh, if you don't care about the brightness, typically you want more depth of field. Um, so you can have it less, you can get a scope that's less light sensitive, if you will. For matches, I think, especially matches during the day, light performance isn't that important. Right. Uh, the, the, what you're talking about probably is contrast. How can you, t how, how can you break the background up from the target? I think contrast would definitely help with that. Yeah. Yeah. So I Got the zero compromise. I've been, uh, I end up going all out. Like I said, got the spur. I've got, I end up buying the uh, LRI um, digital little light level. Oh, the uh, electronic LED level? Yes. Okay. And I, I was debating, like I said, I, I, I'm glad the wife's in the other room. I've been hemorrhaging money at this. <laughs> this sport so i need to get out and actually use it but um i love it i, I about i bought the mount that mounts on the side of the spur in fact people are probably going to go crazy but i bought the note so it says the zero moa spur it's just a level mount is the impact i shoot it's got the 20 moa built into mm -hmm. it i wasn't really that worried about it anyway so i turned the spur mount around so the flat side is on the right side of the gun which is on my side Okay. of the gun why'd um, you do that what's that why'd you do that I, so i could mount 
that level running down. Uh, okay. I bought a spacer so I could space it off. Otherwise, it would have hit hit my stock. I bought okay. a spacer from Spur, the Spur four millimeter spacer. LRI sells the Spur mount for the level. I mounted that and I mounted it going down. Okay. So yeah. I can actually see it with shooting with one eye closed. So one eye open looking through and I can still see it in my peripheral if I'm level. And I, I freaking love it. I, I like it because it's bright. It's in my, it's, it makes me look at it. I found I, myself with my other levels when I was mounting them on the tube and I was actually mounting them on the objective side of the saddle or whatever you want to call it of, of the windage and the elevation. And I wasn't paying that much attention to it. I I'd go back through my misses and, you know, just running it through my head. And I was like, well, I don't know if I was level or not. I, I wasn't looking at it. Kind of like the parallax. I wasn't messing with it. Well, now I'm shoot. I use the, uh, uh, the lens that goes on the end of it, the D fat. Yeah. And I have the, the pull up little shade. So I, I practice in my other room and now I have to look at it. And I think it's, I think it's going to make a difference. Obviously I haven't shoot, shot a competition yet, but it basically, I can turn it up. I can turn it up and down so you can make it as bright as you want, but it forces me. It's basically in my face. I've got to look at it. I've, I've got to see if I'm level or not. So I tried a, a there's a camera level. That's an led. That's the same principle as the one you're talking about. I couldn't find a very good mounting solution. So I gave up on it, but I, I am interested in, uh, one of those, uh, is it the send it brand? Yep. LRI yeah. send it. And I yeah. had, to, I went with the, the MV three, I think, because that's what you got to use if you're left-handed and you want it to hang off that side of the, the gun. So but. for, for this scope, I ended up using a, a tub level. And so, uh, David tub, he advertises it as being more precise. Like it's uh, much more sensitive, but I really didn't buy it for the sensitivity. Because, you know, you get to a point where you can have it so sensitive, you're eating up time on the clock and there's uh, maybe there's not that much of a return to making sure you're within one eighth of a degree versus one fourth of a degree. Uh, I, I don't remember what the, the measurement is. It a, is. is it a bubble level? It is a bubble level. Is but it? his his stout, the reason I bought his is because it stands, stands taller and I put mine on the objective side. And sometimes when I get behind the scope, the parallax knob on some of my rigs uh, gets covered by, or the parallax covers the, the bubble level. I have to pick my head up a little. Yeah. Uh, Tubbs stands a little prouder and I can, I can see it now pretty much no matter where I'm at on the rifle. And it works pretty well. Uh, it is definitely more sensitive. I find myself fine tuning it. And sometimes it gets to a point where I say it's close enough and I just pull if I'm trying to do something on, on the clock, but yeah. As, and one, one of the other things I was, when I was reading about, of course, I usually read a lot of reviews, but anymore I've been reading reviews and I'll find one that they go, Oh yeah, that sounds good. Well then I'll find another one that is the total opposite. So here lately I've been taking them with a grain of salt, but when I bought that Senate level, one of their selling points is it's quicker than a bubble level. And I kind of, I was thinking to myself that that's gotta be BS. Like, how's it going to be quicker? And now that I've used it, and like I said, I've, I've been dry firing with it, I think it is quicker than the bubble level. Just because the bubble level will swing one way, it'll come back. You're trying to adjust it. It's swinging again. It's kind of moving around. 
this thing is no joke. It's either red or blue or it's green. Like there's any back and forth to it. So it was, it was just one of the, it was one of the deals I was calling, I was even calling BS and now I'm kind of like, Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think as the truth, you got stock and send it. I know it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to sell no, no sponsorship, no, no backup, nothing from them, but they did. I will say they did. They did hook me up with a military discount. So if you're military, give them a shout. They were quick, responded quick. Nothing, nothing bad to say about them at all, but, but yeah, I do. I like it. I didn't know. I mean, because I think, shoot, I think it's 200 bucks or something. That's a lot to spend on a level when you can get one. I mean, you can get one off Amazon for 20 bucks, I'm sure 50 bucks or whatever. So it, it is a lot, but like I said, just keep it on the download, but hemorrhaging cash here lately. So, (laughs) so so, yeah. How I, so I, I did read that those turrets on the zero comp are supposed to be better, but I don't know what that means. (laughs) I, I don't, it's, is so there are some things I didn't like. So to go no holds barred, just like, like you did on the Leica. So on the Night Force NX-8 and on the Zero Compromise, I like the Razor Gen 2 turrets as far as zeroing better because on the Zero, on the Razor Gen 2, I could take the cap off and it had hash marks underneath. And I could turn half a mil if I needed, or half a tenth. Right, you can do indefinitely between clicks. Correct. Which, yeah. how, I, I know the argument, how often do you need it? Like, how much do you need more than 0.36 or whatever it is for a tenth of a mil? But I just like, I like the idea that if I'm right in between a tenth of a mil, I could turn. I couldn't, I can't do that on the, the NX8 or on the zero compromise. It's a, you're turning a click or you're not turning a click, one or the other. One thing I liked about the uh, the Vortex better. Deal breaker, no, because obviously I, I sold the I sold the razor, but <clears throat> um, the turrets are great. They feel great. I think I've all <clears throat> I've never dialed wind or elevation without looking. I think I could do that now just by the feel. Um, on the razor, I could turn it, and I tried to turn it one or two, and it would skip to you know two to four. And I'd have to look and see where I was at. I've done it just practicing, like I said, and out the, the two different range days I've been out. And I can turn them and I can count tactile and I can hear it. So I think that's going to help out a little bit on the zero compromise. I like the locking turrets, <clears throat> especially the windage. Because if if I'm shooting multiple targets, I, I hold my wind. If I'm shooting multiple positions but one target, I'll, use, I'll sometimes dial, usually dial. If I'm sticking, then I'll hold off if I if I miss one way or the other. Um, turrets feel great. I like on the zero compromise. In fact, I didn't realize it till I got it. You cannot, once you set your windage, you can't turn a full revolution. I think it's got five or seven mils. That's cool. I actually like that limitation. Yeah, Some see, I didn't. people might consider a limitation, but I think that's an advantage. I didn't even know that was an option until I got it and I read through the manual. Huh. So I do. I also, I love, I love, it. in fact, that's one of the reasons go back to the strike Eagle. That's one of the reasons I bought the strike Eagle for my coyote guns. I, I'd shoot competitions with it, but the locking turrets are almost a must for me anymore. I love the idea of the locking turrets. I won't, 
on the zero compromise, I'm not going to lock the elevation um, unless I think I'm going to jam it into something, you know, because they, they make the guards actually now that you can mount on the spur mount to, to guard for your uh, elevation and windage. Unless I think I'm going to run it into something and turn it, I'm not even going to use it. Like I said, I don't, the windage is always locked. Even when I dial wind on it, I was locking it back up and then I'll hold one way or the other. It's not but a split second to pull it out. They're not too tight. It's going to be fumbling with it. Um, but yeah, I definitely like that idea. The to zero to set the stop, the zero stop on the zero compromise. You don't actually take the turret off. You do need an Allen wrench. They send it obviously, but it's another tool like we we're talking about. You got to take with you. <clears throat> but like you had mentioned, you don't take the the cap off. So the chance of getting dust and debris in there is lower. I'm sure it could still get in there, but it's lower to set the zero stop. I like that idea. Um, one thing that kind of threw me off the zero compromise, like you were mentioning on the parallax, I think it's set in meters. Hmm. So it's just a little bit off, but now I, I memorize it. I'm, I'm a little bit off of a hundred. I'm a little bit off of this or that. Like You can try like, those little stickers that I'm talking about because I'm, I'm going to end up doing that on all my scopes now. I'm, I might actually end up doing that, but it, it is a, it's a little bit off. Could I memorize it? I'm sure I could. How much am I going to look at it? Like we talked about, hell, I might not even look at it. I don't know. It's more than I'm going to play with, but it is, it is a little bit off because it's, it's measured in meters. Um, the the magnification ring like you had said on the leica it feels perfect it's not too tight i definitely don't need to throw a cattail on there or whatever you want to talk a ring and it's got a little bit of one already built in so i like that to where it gives you just enough to where you can catch a finger oh, or a thumb I on did, it i forgot to mention on the leica i cannot run that comes with a uh, screw in cattail i cannot run it with my scope setup on uh on my impact because the lever actually binds on the 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 bolt handle. If you, had a, if you have a 60 degree throw, I don't think it'd be a problem. And uh, I don't run my scope terribly close to the, the barrel. Um, but even if I were to go two tenths of an inch higher or something like I, I don't think I can get that thing out of the way uh, with practical scope rings. Yeah. So, but I don't, at least I don't need the, the scope lever on that light, like a, all right, yeah. sorry. No, no, it's good. That's good. Like you were, I was writing stuff down while you were talking, this is reminding me of, of stuff. So yeah, the, the magnification ring is perfect. I'm, I'm not going to put a cattail on it. It comes with, like I said, a little built-in bump um, that you can catch a finger or a thumb on and move it. And it's not too tight. It's not too loose. One thing I would like to see, we're sitting here just talking about it. I don't think any scope does it. But the one, you tell me what you think. Zero, the zero mark is always on top of the scope. Having the zero on top of the scope as to opposed to having like a little. Well, it's all the scopes that I know of are on, you know, right on top. Uh -huh. I would, I would love to see it marked off. So if you're looking down at the top scope, what, like seven o'clock for right-handers or 7.30 maybe. Oh, okay. And then like for me, I would love to see it at five o'clock, 
Yeah, I don't know if I'd ever pay attention to it. I mean, yeah. I, I don't well, think I've had a... And the only reason I like, because I could stay in the scope and I could dial and just open my other eye, I wouldn't have to lift my head at all. Would it work? Yeah. I don't I don't know. It, would we ever see it? Probably not. <laughs> but just to set set my zero off to the side, because that's, that's one thing I found with the zero, con which I, I think I've done it with every scope. If I'm dialing, I've got to lift my head up just to check zero to get straight up with it and look kind of down on the turret. I'd love to be able to to dial it still with a cheek weld and looking through the scope. But obviously that's that's pipe dreams. But that's, that's, a, that, that's a 35 millimeter tube, correct? On that 36. One? 36. Okay. So that sends that was, I wouldn't call it a downfall. Like I, I have a Razor Gen 1 that I first started with and I still got it. So I've actually got like two or three different sets of rings. So if it was a 35, so I think, I think Leopold now they're Mark 5. That's a 35 mil is the other one. Otherwise they're, majority of them are 34s, which I've got rings laying around for those. So yeah, so I had to buy, I was buying dedicated rings anyway. So I just went, went with the spurs, but. Yeah, so a 36. So you're buying, which Zero Compromise now has come out with their own rings. Spur makes rings. I think Hawkins is making rings. So there's there's options out there. But So on uh, this scope, I actually started, I tried a new, I have a set of Spur connected to my Vortex, but I tried a, another brand. I think they're American made, but they're not a very large production. The brand is F. 3R machine and they are freaking if you want some beefy uh, scope mounts they make some really beefy ones it's got the attachment from the base to the action it's got three to or six total uh, torque screws on there holy cow I thought the spurs had a lot it has six on there and they're a pretty high torque value I forgot off the top of my head how much they are and then it's got uh, six per uh, mounting spot on the that attaches the scope, so you have a total of twelve torque torques on the on the actual tube of the scope, which yeah. you can argue is a little excessive. And it, it's so beefy, it does eat up real estate on the on the tube. So if you're like me, where I run a a my level, and I also run my dope card off of my scope and it's all taken up there's no room to put anything on there uh almost it might even be a criticism it's almost to the point where i can't push the scope far far enough down forward um i've got it i've already got the mount pushed all the way forward on my action on the 737 r uh, from impact and i cannot push my scope any more forward in the scope mount to get any more uh, distance out of it to get eye relief. So yeah. if you're one of those people where you're running really, really close, uh, especially if you're short armed, you, you might actually have a problem with that scope, uh, scope mount, but the quality, it's a really nice quality. The guy, um, he uh, sends out, he, he sends out his products pretty, pretty quickly, all that good stuff. So I, I like it a lot. I'll probably start going there now, in my opinion, non-machinist opinion, et cetera, et cetera, a bunch of caveats, but 
I, I like it a lot. We'll just say it that much. I'm not going to compare it to any other things, but I'll, I'll probably look at them first and try to determine why I shouldn't go with them before I go to somebody else. Yeah. What, if you don't mind me asking, what price range are they at? Yeah. Because it sounds, so I, it sounds like a spur. Because I have all the same comments about a spur. Like if you don't set it up right in the middle, like you have from the saddle, from the elevation and the windage and the, like you have a couple millimeters, maybe a centimeter to move it forward or back in a spur. It takes up the whole rail on my 735, 737. So, so looking at his prices, I've got it pulled up on my phone. So for your 34 millimeter, I'm not going to look at the thirties or anything, but 34, uh, he's asking anywhere from 179 to 215 on sale. Uh, retail prices is 219, 239. So they're, they're reasonably priced. Yeah. So, well, almost, almost half a spur. Yeah. So which, which sounds, I'll have to look them up and I'll, I'll tag them on, on the Facebook deal, but it sounds like, you know, almost a spur mount, maybe a spur. It's not type. the, it's not the diagonal split ring, like the spurts, the traditional uh, horizontal vertical cut uh, on there. But if you're looking for a beefy scope rail, they, they match that criteria for sure. <laughs> I'll definitely check them out. Yeah. I think the spurs are made out of the 70, 71 or a little bit higher tensile strength aluminum. These I believe are the 60, 60, 61. Um, but I, I don't know if tensile strength really plays all that much importance with scope, scope mounts. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. They're, I, I kind of cringe when I see people picking their rifles up by their scopes. Anyway, I, I kind of treat mine like a, I do it. That's like I pick child. mine up by the scopes. So. Do you? <laughs> oh yeah. I keep my I kind of treat mine like a child. So, but obviously it, it shouldn't be moving or whatever. But and I don't think that's going to have anything to do with the tensile strength of aluminum that they're making the bases out of. But well, when you got six torque torque screws uh, attaching the mount to the <laughs> action, it's it's a lot, and uh, the torque values are pretty high. I can't remember what they're off the top of my head, but. It's on there. It's going to take, it's taking something with it if it comes off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'll to check them out. I had never heard of them. So, yeah. But, well, actually speaking of products, let's, let's get into some of your, we talked about it off, off the recording, but we'll definitely get onto it now, but yeah. talk about how some of your, we, how much time do we have on this one so far? How long we've we been on here? 30 minutes, I think something like that. I didn't write down my beginning okay. time. Yeah, we can continue or we can uh, split it up. It's up to you, but uh, I'll go either way. It, it doesn't matter to me. You tell me. Actually, we'll, let's split it up. Okay. It's been so long. I've got something out. Let me get, let's get this out and, uh, and I'll definitely have you back on if you come back on. Yep. I'm on. All right. So any, uh, any shout outs? We'll keep this one quick. Because like I said, it's been way too long since I've had something out. I've had people hitting me up. Uh, shout out to, I still, so I still talk to Chad and Ryan Kaimeg out there. Uh, we PRS stuff. I talk to you, uh, quite a bit, you know, I'm out yeah. of the state, but I don't think that's really tarnished, uh, our PRS or rifle talk, which is always good. Yeah. I still follow up on the PRS stuff, even though I don't shoot out there that much. Uh, it's cool to see what the KPR, I'm sorry. I follow up on the KPRC, even though I don't shoot out there that much, you know, it's still cool to see how that's developed and where it's going sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, but you were one of the first, you're one, one of the, the first guys in on it, weren't you? 
Um, you were out there. Well, you say, were out there shooting before I had joined. Yeah, I was in there. Uh, I, I don't think I, I didn't make the first season. I think maybe I was in the second or third season when I got into it pretty big. Um, but I mean, it's just the, the everybody involved in there, like the skill level has gone up the, the amount of, when I say ownership, I mean like how much each shooter invests themselves into the organization has gone up. I mean, just, it's really cool to watch that evolve to where it is today and hopefully it will continue to go out there. So, uh, shout out to the KPRC, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Hit them up. Yeah. It's been, it's been nothing but helpful for me. I don't have anything bad to say about any of the, the members. Like I said, like you and Chad and Chris and Beamer, I mean, Ryan Kimick, both the Kimmicks, Ryan and Becca, like nothing but helpful. Ryan Moles, all them guys. So definitely if you're, if you're listening and you're debating on getting in, we've talked about it. You just got to jump in because there ain't anybody that's going to, that's going to shun you or shame you. You just jump in, let them know you're new and people are going to be tripping over each other to help you out. How about, so what about down there where you're at? You, you plan on getting any matches in this year? You got yeah, anything? So there's a, there's a local club match over at Thalbor on, I think it's the 13th that I'm going to try to get to. Uh, so what is that? Not this weekend, but the weekend after. And yeah. I, I've been going with the same buddies. Uh, one of my buddies lives down in San Antonio. He drives all the way up. He's in the guard. He does the one weekend a month sort of thing. Um, but we've been doing a lot of practicing, just no, not any matches, just because the sometimes his guard time conflicts with the, the local matches. But I've got another buddy. We're going to just try to do the match without him and, and see how it goes. Uh, I mean, everyone here is really cool, very very helpful with shooting. I, I think that's just in general, the community that anybody in PRS is they're very helpful. Um, they, I yeah. mean, if I'm sure if I broke my rifle, my rifle during a match, someone would just give me theirs, even though I don't know them sort of thing. And, and that's probably not intrinsic just to this area. I bet you that's all over the nation, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I'd have to think so. That was, I might've told that story. That was one of my first worries when I, I just started and I was talking to Derek Love. He, he runs the range out there and a big member with KPRC. And like, well, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm nervous. I don't really know what I'm doing. And that's, he's saying the exact same things that I'm saying on here. You know, come out. No one's going to be. I was like, well, what if there's what if some, some a-holes out there? He's like, well, they usually don't stick around for very long. Like, they usually get run off pretty quick. And it, I've, 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 run into a, I've run into a few, and, yeah, they don't. I think the only time you're going to have a bad time is if you come out there and you're unsafe. Yeah. Oh uh, that, yeah. That, that That's going to make for immediate repercussions and they're going to be stiff. Um, but if you're competent enough to safely handle a firearm, regardless of what it is, um, you're, you're going to get looked after and everyone's going to, you know, everyone's going to be invested into your success because they want you to come back not to beat them four months from then, but they want you to come back and, <laughs> and be a part, be a part of it. So yeah, yeah. You have any uh, any plans for any national matches or anything else for the year? Since we're just Not getting yet. started, um, I have. So I, when I normally sign up for a national match, it's three, four weeks prior, and it's one of those things. If it's not already full, if it's filled up, I don't worry that much with it. I really like the one day matches, honestly, like two days of shooting. 
I'm going to say it is just too much for me. <laughs> like, yeah. It takes yeah. not only a lot of, not, not a lot of energy to get ready, but you know, recoup, recuperation, if you will, uh, being, getting ready for work on the Monday is just makes it that much more brutal. And then on the second day is just, I, I get more appreciation shooting the first day in, in most of the matches. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is a lot of shooting. I'm going to, I'm going to try and make some two day matches. I kind of, I'm kind of in limbo come next month. I'll find out some news to see if I'm sticking around or if maybe I'm moving or what my future holds. So I want to shoot some national matches this year. And I mentioned it before that we kind of get spoiled here between in the Midwest. Like we've got matches we can drive to within four to five, six hours and hit all the matches we would need. If you score well enough to make the finale all within driving distance, that's not, that's obviously not the case for everybody within the uh, the shooting industry or shooting sports. So we kind of get spoiled. So I, I would like to take advantage of some of the some of the matches in Kansas, Oklahoma, and and be able to do that. But like I said, we'll see. I kind of give it about thirty days to see what I what my future holds. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah, nothing I like playing the military roulette on on assignments. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they all hurry up and wait. So we'll we'll see what happens there. That's that's here nor there. For hey, the, you might end up down here. Tink, that, we got Tink, Tinker Air Force Base isn't bad. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't complain about that at all. So yeah. we'll see what happens. But I'm definitely looking looking forward. Even if even if I do get have to move, I still plan on shooting. If I'm stateside, we'll see about that. But still plan on shooting. I just might be in a different area. So, but then I'd have you guys come back and hook up with you guys, shoot back here. You guys come out and shoot wherever I'm at. So we'll see. But other than that, um, we'll get her wrapped up here. So I'll put a bunch of, uh, shout outs. You have any more, any other shout outs? That that's it. I wasn't prepared for the shout outs. Bad me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've been taking a little bit of notes here. So I have to, I'll tag Chris and Chad. We mentioned them and Chris long. Ryan Kimig, all those guys. I'll all get them right. tagged I, on there. Now, while you do that, I'm going to find the uh, Precision Rifle blog guy. <laughs> yeah, find out what his name. Yeah, I'll definitely tag that. Just a ton of ton of information on that on that blog. I'm always checking checking there to see what they've got going on or reviews or he posts what they post what the what the pros use or what the pros shoot. You're always looking at that type of stuff. And uh, the F3R machine, is that right? F3R machine, yeah. F3R machine. I'll look them up and try and tag them on here so people will check them out. Like, uh, it took you a little while to get that scope, it sounded like. Yeah, so I got it through uh, Expert Voice. I, which uh, So they offer a military discount through Expert Voice. And, uh, yeah, I, I think just through being a third-party vendor sort of thing, yeah. it took a little bit longer. Uh, I believe everyone else that I know that try to order the scope, they've been able to get it relatively pretty quickly. Yeah. So, I wouldn't knock Leica for it. Yeah. Yeah. I, hey, I, I'm the same way. I found, in fact, I kind of messed up. I, I messaged one of the guys on uh, Sniper's Hide. I can't remember his name now. That's actually one of the co-owners or, one of the one of the big ones was with uh, zero compromise. And I messaged him. In fact, he's an ex-army major, retired, 
I emailed him asking about a military discount. Well, I ended up finding a OTM tactical. They, they hooked me up. So I got to give them a shout out. They, they give me a little bit of a, of a break. And then of course I, I got ahead of myself. I ended up buying it. And then they, he hits me back over the weekend. Like, yeah. Give, give me your info. And give me a call. Sometimes I go, Oh shoot. Well, I might've shot myself in the foot. And got ahead of myself. But anyway, I got, got the scope. I wanted, got a little bit of a discount. So. Cal Zant. That's, that's the name Kyle's. of the precision rifle blog art author. So I actually, uh, I shot uh heat stroke few years back and he was in the squad ahead of me um i think he was wearing the exact same shirt he was wearing in like a bunch of his pro, uh pictures that he has uh posted up on his his uh website so i was like i know who that guy is super nice guy uh very very friendly you know he's so I, I talked to him for a little bit and it was really really cool experience to talk to him cool yeah yeah i'll have to send him i'll put a shout out on there for that Definitely get you back on here. Try and get some more folks lined up. I might have you back on again in here here next time. You definitely got some some goodies you've you've made and thought of. I can, I can tell the gears are always turning. You're always trying to better this or make this easier, make that easier. So we'll talk about that on the next episode for sure. But if you don't have anything else, Mike, we'll I'll get let you off here. Get back to the family. All right. All right, man. Thanks. All right. See you.